The principles of God help us walk in the presence of God and enable us to experience the power of God. We need God's principles, God's presence and God's power. In part 3 of this series, we look at competitive advantage and strategy as well as organization structure and design from a biblical perspective. All right. Um we're going to stand up and make our declaration and uh, then we will get into God's word. Uh so if you if we could all stand up please and um hold our bibles in our hands if you brought your bible with you. Uh, lift it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word, and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name amen god bless you may be seated please all right we're doing a series on timeless principles for the workplace uh, uh the book was out last sunday and we're using that uh, i just kind of just uh, make a few comments here before we uh get started with today's uh uh, uh message I want us to remember uh, three important words. Principles, presence, and power. Principles, presence, power. And I'll say it again. Principles, presence, power. The principles of God, what God has given to us in his word, the principles of God help us walk or dwell uh, help us dwell in the presence of god and they help us or enable us to experience the power of god so principles presence and power god's principles help us dwell in god's presence and enable us to experience god's power these are not disconnected they are connected they're interrelated you we need to walk in the principles of god for us to dwell in the presence of god it's not either or you have to have both because for example psalm 24 says who can dwell who can ascend to the hill of the lord who can dwell in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart somebody who's been walking by the principles of god he is the one who has access into the presence of god so the principles lead us into the presence and uh, and enable us to experience the power of god so while we are talking about these principles let's not forget the presence and the power the principles lead us into the presence and the power of god uh, for us to experience that we need to walk by the principles of god what he taught us is right and wrong we need to live by that um the other comment that we've made over the last two sundays is that the language of the bible is the language of its times so when we talk about the the workplace in bible times had to deal with uh primarily agriculture so we would 
have lands and fields and uh, livestock and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, that, that's kind of the, the context of the workplace in Bible times. Uh, it had to do with palaces, kings, military and, and those kinds of things. Uh, whereas uh, in our day, the, the, the workplace in our day is slightly different. Today we talk about corporate offices, we talk about boardrooms, we talk about all kinds of different things. There are different industries which probably didn't even exist in those times. But what we've been stressing all along is that the principles that God gave for the workplace in Bible times still applies to our times today. The principles are transferable. The principles remain. The principles hold. So although the context is different, the language is different, the principles are very valid. So that's what we're doing here in Scripture. We're going back to the Bible saying what principles can we find and use those principles to undergird our professional knowledge. So whatever you, you and I have gained through our college, our experience, uh, and, and, and learning, uh, that's important. Knowledge is important. But we need to undergird it with the wisdom and the understanding that comes to us from God. And, and that's how we go about our, our work life and, and what we do in the workplace. Today we will um, uh, uh, work on comp- uh, covering two chapters, chapter 5 and 6. Chapter 5 and 6 is what we're going to attempt to cover this morning. Uh, uh, we've covered the earlier chapters which deal with preparation for the workplace. Uh, we began last Sunday talking about the workplace itself. We, we dealt with you know, the, the corporate vision, mission, values, and culture. We, talked, uh, uh, we covered that as an, as an introduction, getting started uh, talking about the organization. Now, uh, just a few more comments here. One is, uh, in Sunday morning, we're going to go through this very quickly, so I'm going to uh, cover this quite rapidly. But I encourage you to go back and read the book, study it in detail. Uh, get into s- small groups if you, if you, if you like to. You know, we learn a lot through talking, through discussing, uh, through a sharing of ideas. So uh, uh, you can, a lot can happen when you do that. Uh, you can meet in a coffee day, and a lot can happen over coffee. <laughs> I take this book along, <laughs> a lot can happen. So, or you can meet in your life groups, you can meet in your workplaces, wherever, just meet in small groups, talk about it, discuss this, read through the chapters, and discuss. Uh, let's go to chapter 5, that's page 68. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about competitive advantage and strategy, and then we'll talk a little bit about organizational structure and design. So, again, uh, 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 some of you are business owners, you run your own businesses, and so you can relate to a lot of this because you are definitely involved in, 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 talk, in, in, in working on the, uh, uh, looking at your organization, your business, and thinking about the competitive advantage that you bring uh, uh, versus your competitors in business. Uh, some of you may not directly be related to this, but in some way will affect you. And it's good to think in these terms. Whatever you're doing in your organization. You know, what makes my organization or my business different from others who are doing the same thing or the similar thing? So that's what we mean by competitive advantage. Why should somebody come to your organization to, uh, uh, to use your product or service versus somebody else in the market who is doing something similar? And uh, the strategy you're going to use to leverage your advantage to... Uh, gain market share or, or do well for yourself as an organization or uh, uh, as a business. Now, 
these principles not only apply to businesses that are for profit, but definitely you could use them when you, even if you're a non-profit or if you're a social organization standing up for a cause. Or why are you different from somebody else who's probably doing the same thing or a similar thing? What makes you different? You need to understand, recognize your competitive advantage and then have a strategy for that. Now, just to page 68, just some general things to unplace the context of what we're talking about. Uh, many uh, organizations, businesses especially, would differentiate based on things like speed. Um, we are faster in doing what we're doing or greater value or lower cost or a, a superior product. We have a product that has much better design. Uh, um, um, other qualities that make it stand out. Sometimes they can compete even on terms of um, uh, the kind of the, where you're sourcing your materials from, whether it's local or versus imported, or even organizations that stand up for a social cause. That we are standing up for a certain cause, and that's why we differentiate ourselves based on that. Uh, and typically, uh, these things are achieved through innovation, uh, through creativity. Uh, through operational efficiency, how, how, how efficient is your organization, and so on. So these are general uh, management thoughts and uh, things that, that me, that's common knowledge for those of us who've, um, who've read or studied uh, management. But let's see, what, what are things that we can take from Scripture in relation to competitive advantage and strategy? What can we learn? Uh, the first thing, this is on page 69, the first thing is the Bible does talk about in many different contexts the fact that we should know what we are against. Even in, the, in our call to our Christian life, in our call to discipleship, Jesus also told us, know what you're against, know what you're getting into. He put it like this in Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 28 to 33. He said, uh, if one of you sits down to build a tower, uh, you've got to first sit down and count the cost. Otherwise, once you've started the project, you don't have enough to finish it, people will laugh at you. That you started this up and you didn't finish it. Or when one king is going out to fight another uh, if he has 10,000 soldiers, another king is coming against him with 30,000, he would sit down and see if uh, with 10,000 he can go and overpower somebody who's much bigger. So he, he sits down and he thinks through, uh, what's it going to take to win this? So similarly in your organization, in, in whatever you do, whether it's a business, for-profit or a not-for-profit organization or a social organization, you sit down and you think, okay, what are my differentiators? How am I going to penetrate the market? How am I going to make a difference in what I'm doing? You need to know what you're up against. And of course, when we compete, especially for businesses, when we compete, we have to compete vigorously, but at the same time, we've got to compete clean and fair. Page 69. Uh, Paul writes this about the Christian life again in 2 Timothy 2.5. He says, an athlete who runs in a race cannot win the prize unless he obeys the rules. So it's not enough to cross, be the first one to cross the finish line. You've also got to do it clean and fair. You've got to do it abiding by the rules. Otherwise, even if you cross the finish line first, you're going to get disqualified. The same thing will apply to business and organization. That you've got to compete clean and fair. Yes, you've got to compete Vigorously, you got to have something that, that makes you stand out, but make sure you're, you're, you're doing it ethically, legally, uh, in, in a manner that's clean, fair. Uh, we've seen lots of organizations, and, and you, those of you who've been doing that, uh, reading the news, you would have seen over time, great organizations have been built, but almost in a, in, in a moment, they collapse, simply because in spite of their successes, Something was mishandled, something was misappropriated, something was done wrong and that brought entire organizations down. And so it's so important 
the Compete Clean and Fair. Page 70, develop a winning strategy. So you need a strategy that's going to cause your organization to succeed. Proverbs 24 verses 5 and 6 says, It's better to be wise than strong. Intelligence outranks muscle any day. Strategic planning is the key to warfare. To win, you need a lot of good counsel. So the Bible talks about this. The importance of planning. The importance of getting input. So part of what you will do for your organization is uh, to get information, to get data, to get input uh, from various sources. You might do your, you know, typically you do your market research. You look at uh, what stage of maturity your market is in. Uh, uh, it's great to come in as an early entrant to a market that's still young. It, it gives you an advantage. Uh, you will look at all of these things and the Bible does tell us to have, uh, to engage strategically, uh, to get good input. Uh, to succeed. So work on developing a winning strategy. Have something in place. Proverbs 20 and verse 18 says, get good advice and you will succeed. Don't go charging into battle without a plan. So get good advice before you step out and you engage in what you're doing. Page 71, Goliath is not your real enemy, furious. And we can draw this lesson from uh, the Israelites, as they were uh, facing up with the Philistines, the Philistines sent Goliath to challenge them. So here comes Goliath, you know, he's challenging, he's saying, you send one man, let's fight, man on man. And here were the Israel, entire Israelite army, trained soldiers, and they were all crippled by fear. They saw Goliath, they said, man, we can't handle it. And all these trained, trained soldiers were crippled. They couldn't move. They didn't want to take up the challenge. And along comes David, just a shepherd boy, no military training. And he says, I'll go face Goliath. There's one thing David did not have. He did not have fear. So he was able to go up against this giant fearlessly. And many of you sitting here may have great ideas. And ideas are great. They're important. Some of them could be just from God. Trying to prompt you to get started, do something. And the one big thing that inhibits us is fear. It's not the Goliath, it's the fear that holds us back from stepping out and trying to attempt, uh, take a step on those great ideas. So I would, I would encourage you and I, as we are working on our, our competitive advantage and our strategy, overcome fear. Don't let fear cripple you because that can hold you back. Even if you had a great idea, it can still hold us back. And the other thing we learn about David and Goliath is this. We can leverage, leverage your experience with lions and bears to face Goliath. What gave David confidence to go face Goliath? He said, the God who helped me kill the lion and the bear is also able to help me kill Goliath. He leveraged his past successes. Now his past successes, of course, were in obscurity. They didn't show up in the newspaper. They didn't make the headlines. But they were nonetheless so important for David. His past successes, as small as they were, for him, they were very significant. The God who helped me kill the lion and the bear is going to help me take Goliath. So leverage your past successes. Learn from it. Build on it as you work on your competitive advantage and your strategy. Page 72. Sometimes just one pebble is all it takes. 
You know, some, uh, especially if you're entering into a market that's pretty mature, you already got big players, uh, they've already got their systems in place, they've got the delivery systems in place, they've got the distributors in place, and here you are, you have an idea, and you're thinking, like, how am I going to take on these big Goliaths? Now, when David went to face Goliath, he did not defeat Goliath by using what Goliath had. In fact, when King Saul told him, you know, try on this sword and try on this helmet and try on all this armor, David, David tried it on and he said, I can't move. I'm not used to this. But what did David do to take on Goliath? He used what he was good at. What was he good at? Something unconventional, a sling and a stone. But he was really good at it. In fact, too good for Goliath. And all it took was one stone. What's the lesson that you and I can learn from there? You know, you build on your strengths, your core competencies. What are you good at? What, what, what makes you, what, what is it that you are good at? Even if you don't have to fight Goliath with using his weapons, use what you are good at and you can bring Goliath down, right? So as you're working on developing your strategy, focus on your strengths. Focus on what you, you, you are good at and leverage your strengths. Page 73, another very important thing for us as, as, as believers, as a, us engaging in the workplace, we must understand and we must learn to get the Lord's counsel, which is our key to competitive advantage and strategy, getting the Lord's counsel. Now, for David, his workplace involved battles, that, that he was a king, and he had to engage in several battles. He was the most successful king of Israel. Militarily. And one thing you find about David's life is that constantly he would go back and ask the Lord for counsel before he went into battle. He would say, God, what are you saying? And God would speak to him. God would give him uh, strategies. And here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 22 to 25, there's one example that we've listed here. It says here, once more, David consulted the Lord. Meaning, this is something he was used to doing. The Philistines were coming up against him in, a, in an area called the Rephaim Valley. And, and David, was, David said, okay, now I need to go and engage with them. But let me ask the counsel of the Lord. What is God saying? So David consulted with God. And God told David, David, don't go and face them down in the valley. But I want you to take a different route. Go from this area Go against them that way. And when you do that, I will move with you and I'll give you victory. So God gave him instructions. God gave him a strategy. David, the enemy is coming one way. I want you to take a different route. Go and fight this manner and I will be with you. And that's what David did. So in our businesses, in our work, in the things that we do, we need to ask the Lord. God, give me your strategy. What are you saying? And God can speak to us. Amen? Now, how many of you believe God can speak to us today? Or are or, or all lines from heaven disconnected? Sorry, no service. <laughs> no, I believe that even today God speaks. Amen? The God of the Bible is still our God of our day. And if he guided David in what he needed to do, surely he'll guide you and me in what we need to do in our day. There's another interesting example, which is of Jacob and Laman. You'll find that on... On the next page, page 74, uh, and we're quoting now from Genesis chapter 31. Now, Javen, uh, Jacob had the, uh, the, I don't know what you'd say, the, the unfortunate experience of having to work for his uncle. 
Laban. And, he, and uh, Laban made him work for 14 years. When Jacob originally wanted to work for him only for seven years. Laban made, made him work for 14 years. And during this 14 year period, he kept changing his wages. In fact, he changed his wages 10 times, always putting Jacob in a place of disadvantage. So imagine, it, it must have been a really difficult situation. But God sees all of this, and what does God do? In Genesis 31, God speaks to Jacob in a dream. And says, Jacob, here is what I'm about to do in the market. What am I about to do? He says, Jacob, I'm going to make all the strong sheep and goats. So again, once again, keep in mind that the workplace in those days had to deal with livestock and fields. Our workplace today deals with different things. But God was saying, Jacob, I'm going to make all the strong sheep and goats give birth to speckled and spotted sheep and goats. That was a dream. That's what I'm about to do. So what does Jacob do? He understands the dream. He says, okay, I've got to have a strategy now to make sure that all the speckled and spotted sheep become mine. Right? Because that's what God said he's going to do. So he goes to his Uncle Laban. He says, Uncle Laban, I worked for you all these years. Now, would you do me a favor? He said, what? You take all the speckled and spotted sheep away. You give me only the plain white sheep and goats. Give them to me. And I will take them away. I'll take care of them for you. But this is what my wages will be. All the speckled and spotted that come out of these will be mine. Is that a deal? Sure. So, but Jacob knows what God is going to do. So he's setting up a strategy. He's, he's setting up things in order to align himself to what God has spoken to him. And his uncle says, okay. So he takes all these sheep and goats away. And he, just to help him remember, he, he takes them to a lake, uh, around a lake where they would uh, breed. He uh, puts a lot of sticks and makes them all spotted and speckled so that he understands it. It reminds himself, this is what God said he's going to do. But God is the one who's doing it. Jacob has just orchestrated or developed his strategy towards what God said was going to happen. And sure enough, whenever the strong sheep and goats came to give birth, they gave birth to speckled and spotted. So eventually over time, the wealth transferred from Laban's hands into Jacob's hands. All the strong livestock shifted hands, moved into the hands of Jacob. So much so, when Jacob was about to leave, his, the people said, all our father's wealth has gone to Jacob's hands. And God orchestrated the whole thing. How did it happen? God revealed to Jacob what he was about to do. And then Jacob developed a strategy aligned to what God said was going to happen. Do we all understand that? Wow, come on. Yes or no? Next question. Do you think God can do those kinds of things today? Yes. And if we just need to pray, we need to ask the Lord and say, God, what are you going to do? What, what is going to come? And, and, and God can reveal to you. In those days, it had to do with livestock. Today, it could do with any industry that you're involved in, any area. You ask the Lord. Get the counsel of the Lord. And then you develop your strategy and align to what God has revealed to you. Page 74. We also must be open to unusual strategies. Um, this is what happened. One example is that 
of, of Joshua leading the people of Israel into Jericho. And the first city they needed to conquer was the city of Jericho. Uh, Joshua leading the people in the promised land. Jericho. And God speaks and says, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Lead the people around the wall of Jericho once every day for six days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. At the end of the seventh time, give a big shout. I'll give you the city. Now, that was not a normal military strategy. That's not how you take cities. But this is God speaking. This is God giving you a strategy. Joshua obeyed and the people of Israel obeyed and they took Jericho. So be open to unusual strategies, things that God might speak to you that are very different from the norm. But God is speaking in order to help us gain advantage. For most of us, when something is unusual, so unusual, we would rebuke the devil. Get out of my mind. This is not, it doesn't fit my thinking. Right? But be open when God is speaking. Page 25, down, but not out, but come back with a new strategy. There are times when, uh, you know, you've tried several things, you're down, it's not working. Don't give up. Go back to God. Come with a new strategy. You read, a, read an example of this in Judges, the 20th chapter, where uh, the 11 tribes uh, were decide, had to fight against the tribe of Benjamin because the tribe of Benjamin had mistreated some people and the other tribes got together and said, okay, we need to go and deal with them. They were unrepentant. They're not willing to change. So they needed to deal with it severely. So on day one, when they went out to fight against the tribe of Benjamin, they were defeated. They came back. They sat before God and said, God, you know, we know what we're doing is right, but we saw failure. We saw defeat. They go back day two. Again, the same thing happens. They are defeated. They go back before God and say, God, again, we have faced defeat. What's happening? And then on day two, God speaks to them and says, okay, I want you to go back on, on the third day, but I want you to use this strategy. I want you to divide your soldiers into two groups. One group of soldiers go out before the city and you pretend you're running in defeat. So you run away from the city. So you're drawing the soldiers out of the city. So once the soldiers come out, then the other group attack and ambush them from behind and you overtake them. So he gave them a different strategy and that's what they did on day three and they won. So what's the lesson? Even if you face defeat, day one, day two, when God speaks to you and gives you a new strategy, go back with it. Amen? Hear from God, go back, don't give up. The last point here on page 76 is this, time and chance happen, be alert, act quick. Capture the moment. Uh, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11. He said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Meaning that while there are many, many people who are wise and strong and, and gifted and talented, there's one more thing that we must keep in mind, that we must learn to seize time and opportunity. It happens to all of us. It comes to all of us, and we must learn to seize the moment. And that's what gives us an advantage, to be there capturing that particular moment of time and the opportunity that comes our way. Because many, many people are talented, gifted, and have the skill and the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge and all of that. But why is it some succeed? Because they've learned to recognize the time and the opportunity. So learn to seize that. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 8, 5, and 6 says, A wise man's heart 
discerns time and judgment. A wise man, he is the one who is able to recognize time and opportunity. Time and the right thing to do. That takes wisdom. So you pray for wisdom in order to recognize time and opportunity. Are you with me so far? You guys are asleep or awake? You're awake? Okay, let's go to chapter 6. We'll do chapter 6 and stop. In chapter 6, we come to, we talk about another aspect of our workplace which deals with organizational structure and design. Meaning, uh, every organization needs to, at some point, have structure and design. Now, you may begin as a one person. Now, as a one person, it's very simple. You do everything. You do whatever it takes to do. I remember when I started the company, I was one person working from home. So I was everything. I did everything. Then I moved to the garage. I had a few more employees at that time. But then I still did everything. I made tea for my employees twice a day, uh, cleaned their tables, paid their check, I mean, wrote their checks, paid them, did everything. That's how I started. But then over time, as you grow, you'll have more people, and then you, you kind of, you know, you design, you develop a structure uh, and shape how things, how you want the organization to be. So, uh, organizational structure and design. And just to give a little context here, uh, there are several basic or generic organizational structures that uh, many of us would be familiar with those who are already engaged in the workplace. For instance, there are functional structures, structures that are uh, organizations divide themselves or group themselves based on the functions. There's a research uh, or departments, you would call it, research and development. The, you would have uh, operations or marketing, functional structures. You would have Product structures, organizations that are divided along product lines, electronics, uh, medical instruments, um, other things. So you, you're, you're dividing, you're grouping your organization uh, along product lines. You would have things like market structure. So an organization says, here's one division that's, that's um, services, financial, financial in the financial industry, financial services, healthcare services, education services, government. So you're dividing your organization along the lines of service, market structure. You might have geographical structure where uh, the organization is divided regionally in you know, a north, south, east, west, based on regions. Or you might have process structure. You might where you have uh, here's a, a new product development division. Here's a, 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 a custom acquisition or order fulfillment, different processes, and so on. So these are generic organizational structures. Most often what happens is every organization has a hybrid. They have a combination of things uh, to make them function well. So there is grouping. There is also linking, meaning you're dividing your organization, but there's also got to be strong link linking because eventually you want everybody to work together well, work uh, efficiently and accomplish the goals. Are you all with me so far? So when you look at all people's church here in Bangalore, are, how are we uh, organized? Uh, we have five locations, uh, but we only have one church office. We don't have five church offices. We have one administration that supports all five locally and also our outreach churches in other places. Now, each, local, each congregation here in Bangalore will have its, has its associate pastor, has its worship coordinator, has its worship team, uh, has various teams like we have the book table. We have that in every location. We have the ushering. Uh, we have the uh, visitors welcome, uh, member care. So every location has uh, its own set of teams that do all of these various things. So that's how we've, we've organized ourselves as a church. And each team is important. So uh, 
Organizational structure is important because it determines how quickly an organization can respond, uh, how, uh, how efficient it can be, and so on. What can we learn from Scripture in relation to this aspect of our work life, which all of us uh, would be involved in? Page 80. Structure, order, and design are godly virtues. Let me just get some. You know, sometimes we think structure is not good, order is not good, it's all restrictive. You know, I want to do anything I want to do. I want to get up and go to work and I just want to do what I want to do today. Today I want to program, I want to do that. Tomorrow I want to be on sales call, I want to do that. You can't, you, you know, no, you can't just randomly do things unless you're, you're the only person in the organization. Right? Uh, there is, there's, a, there's a purpose there for structure or design. And what we realize is that God is a God of structure, order, and design. You look at all his creation. The sun doesn't rise in the east one day and the west the other day. Right? It's always, there is order, there is structure, there is design. You look at the details of his creation, there is great design in all that God created. And so the Bible reveals to us a God who is a God of order, structure, and design. In fact, even concerning his own church, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 33 and verse 40, he says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Um, let all things be done decently in order. God desires for things to be done decently and in order. So God is a God of order. What can we, what must we do? Align organizational structure to your strategy. The structure you develop for your organization should support your strategy. What are you trying to implement? What are you going after? How are you going to do it? Your structure should support that. A great example of this is seen in the book of Numbers. Now many of us, when we read the book of Numbers, we find like, oh, the chapters are so boring because it's all about number of people, which side they're going to be, what are they going to do, and all of that. But through, through all that detail, we see something emerging. We see God teaching his people on how to organize themselves in order to carry out the strategy. What was the strategy? We need to move 650,000 plus people across the wilderness to a land of promise. We need to take them all there. And we would like for them to move in their tribes. So the strategy is, let everybody move in their tribes. Not everybody just get up and go everywhere. No. So imagine if people were at random, 650,000 people. Hey, come on here, get in line. It'd be, you can hardly make any progress. So the strategy was, everybody moves in their tribes. Now what's the organization? The organization is, we have the tabernacle, which will always be in the middle of the camp. The tabernacle is a rectangular tent, has four sides. On each side of the tabernacle, there will be three tribes encamped. So these three tribes always camp on the same side of the tabernacle. So each, each tribe knew exactly where they were positioned on the four sides of the tabernacle. And the order in which the tribes were moved would move was determined. You start with the tribe of Judah first. You move first. Next tribe. Next tribe. Then go to the other side of the tabernacle. You move. So it was all determined which tribe goes in which order. How do they start their marching? And every tribe had a leader, a military leader. When they blew the trumpet, they would march. So that was also in place. So the whole structure supported the strategy. Let's move tribe by tribe. But you've got to be organized for it. 
So the organizational structure supported the strategy which they were trying to implement. And that's what you and I do as we decide on our, our, our design our organization. It's got to support our strategy. And of course, as strategy changes, you will modify the organizational structure. Page 81, organizational design affects strategy capability and sustainability. What your organization is going to be capable of doing and how long it can sustain doing something will be determined by the structure and the design of your organization. A great lesson is that from David, again, having to do with the tabernacle. David set up the tabernacle in the city of Jerusalem. He brought the Ark of the Covenant. He built this tabernacle. But now David wanted something. He wanted worship to go on, prayer and worship to go on in the tabernacle nonstop. So how was he going to do it? He, had, he appointed 4,000 people to take care of the tabernacle, another 4,000 to be musicians, another 288 worship leaders. So he got a great group of people about almost 10,000 people and then he made them divide them into 24 groups and he gave each group a time slot so now that whole organization that he set up helped them have worship and prayer go on in the tabernacle non-stop 24 7 for 33 years can you imagine if all of us had to worship non-stop for three days we get tired. But David set up an organizational structure that enabled him to achieve what, that gave him this capability as well as sustainability to do that for 33 years. So what lesson can we take? When we design our organization, design in such a way that it can make you capable and sustain what you're planning to do. Have the right teams in place. It's not enough to have the right design. You've also got to have the right people in the right place to make things happen, to make it work. Again, you go back to David as he, as he built his great army. The Bible says David had a great big army. As, although he had thousands of people in his army, he had 33 key captains who oversaw the army. And out of the 33 key captains, he had three most courageous warriors. So he had the right people positioned in the right place to oversee and make sure that this whole army functioned the way they, it needed to function. You need to have the right people in the right place to make sure that your organization uh, is doing what it, it should do. Another lesson we can learn about this from David is sometimes your best team begins with the most unlikely. So David had such a great army, but where did this army begin? What we find in, in, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2, and on top of page 84, is that David's great army actually began in a most unlikely time of his life. At this particular time, he was uh, uh, running from King Saul. He was in the wilderness, in the cave, living, you know, just, just barely surviving. And while he was at that moment, in a very unlikely moment of his life, 400 men come to David. And these 400 men, the Bible says, were all in debt, were all distressed, and were all discontented with life. These guys were really upset about things. Their life wasn't going right. They all show up to David and say, David, we want to join you. Now, what could David have done? He could have said, man, I'm in bad shape. You guys are in bad shape. Sorry. You know. No. <laughs> David welcomed these 400 people. And it was these 400 people who first formed David's army. 
That's where it all started. What's the point? Sometimes your great army of the future is going to begin or begins in an unlikely time of your life with unlikely people in an unlikely situation. Be open to it. God's bringing them in, recognize them, and start working with them because over time they can become your best warriors. I want to close with this here uh, about, uh, about organization. Oh, well, there's just a couple of things here. Uh, page 84, sorry. Believe in your team. See beyond their current struggle. So once you've got your organization, you put teams in place, you put people in place, believe in your team. Believe in the people that, that are working with you. Uh, a great example is that of Jesus. You know, he spent three years working with 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him. And he has left with 11 people. He's been telling them that he's going to die and rise up again from the dead. But when he's crucified, these people do not believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. They don't believe the report of Mary Magdalene that she's seen Jesus. They don't believe the report of two of the disciples who said he walked with us on the road to Emmaus. They don't believe that. And so in Mark 16, Jesus appears to these 11 people and they're still unbelieving. They don't believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So he rebukes them for their unbelief. And yet at that very moment, he gives to them the great commission. He says, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. He still believed in them. Even though at that moment, they were in their time of weakness. So we don't believe. But he still gives them the great commission. So go preach the gospel. So there are times as you're working together as an organization and, 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 and you've put the people in place. Believe in your team. Encourage them. And, 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 and believe that you will succeed. Work together. Uh, don't give up. That will inspire them uh, to bring out the best. Page 86. With just the right people, you can overcome the odds. To, big, be, to be big is not always better. Sometimes just the right people is all you need to overcome great odds. We learned this from Gideon. When God gave Gideon a vision, a commission to go overthrow the Midianites, uh, Gideon issued uh, a call and 32,000 men came, showed up saying, yes, we'll go with you, Gideon, to fight the Midianites. But out of the 32,000, 22 of them are actually fearful. They were afraid. So God said, Gideon, send them all home. He was left with 10,000. Then God said, we'll do one more test. Take them down to the river. See how they drink. And many of them laid flat to drink. And God said, we don't want those people because they are not alert. They're not ready for the enemy. But 300 men scooped water and lapped it from their palm. And God said, I need those 300. Take those 300 men. They are alert. They are ready for battle. They are uh, they're, they're conscious of what they're called to do. Take those 300 men. So with 300 men, Gideon goes out to fight an army, the Midianite army, which had thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people. And yet with just those 300 men and God moving on their behalf, they overcame the odds. They won their battle. Lesson for us. You just need the right people and God on your side and you can overcome the odds. Design for maximized function and performance. We learn this lesson from the human body, the way God designed the human body. God tells, speaks about the church, which is an institution he created. And he says, I want the church to function like the human body. Look at the human body. 
What, what, what lesson can we learn from the human body? We see that each unit is in its right place. The eyes, the lungs, the heart, every unit is in its right place. It's in the right size and it's in the right place and they all work together to bring out this optimal function and performance. So you design your organizational structure that way. Think about it. Let me put the right people in the right place, have the right design because I want maximum function and performance. Finally, I'll break your organization down to only the necessary level, stay lean, stay flat. We learn this as you look at uh, Moses leading the, entire, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel into the land or the promised land. Uh, to begin with, it was only Moses. But as they made this journey, an organizational structure evolved. And you find this summarized on page 89. He had leaders who would take care of the judiciary process of making sure people knew the laws of God and obeyed the laws of God. So he appointed leaders, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens of leaders of thousands of hundreds, fifties, and tens. He also had journey coordinators, people who are responsible for the movement of the camp. So one leader for each tribe. He had people who took care of the administration. He had 70 elders who would address the daily needs of the people. Uh, he had a special task force, 12 leaders, who would go out, survey the, la survey the promised land, come back. They, just, they were needed only for that assignment. And then he had priests and Levites who would take care of the religious side of things. So this entire organizational structure evolved from one man, Moses. All of this came into place as the people made this journey into the promised land. And yet, people had access to Moses. They had access to what they needed, the information they needed. Uh, and so design and keep, keep it flat, build only the necessary levels you, and you need for your organization. Did you get something out of that? Yes or no? You all fall asleep. Okay. I know this sounds very much like, oh, I'm going to my management class this morning. <laughs> no, but I just want us to understand that the Bible has so much that we can, that speaks to us about our workplace and things that we can take back and use uh, in, in what we do in our places of work. Let's stand to our feet uh, as, as we just take a few moments to pray. Call our worship team up, please. I want us to take a few moments just to pray and say, God, I want your wisdom in my life. As we read earlier, wisdom is better than strength. And that wisdom that God gives to us is what gives us success. And I want us to pray and say, God, give me wisdom. My place of work with what I do. Speak to me the way you spoke to people in the Bible. You spoke to David. You spoke to Jacob. You spoke to those people. You told them what to do concerning their work, concerning what they were engaged in. Speak to me. Speak to my heart. Give me your wisdom. So that God, I can put you or put your glory on display out there in the workplace. Can we all just pray and say, God, fill us with your wisdom. Father, we just pray, Lord, for your kingdom to be released through each of our lives, Father.
Father, we just pray for your kingdom, God, to be released through each of our lives. Thank you for the place each one of us has, whether we are school teachers or whether we're business owners or presidents of organizations, on the board of directors or God, whatever place we have. Thank you for it. We just pray that your kingdom, God, will be released, will be manifested through each of us in the marketplace. The lives will be touched, God, as we walk with the wisdom of God. We believe you will do today what you did in Bible times. God, if you spoke to David, gave him strategies. If you spoke to Jacob, showed him what you're about to do so he could prepare for it. If you guided people in those times, guide each of us today. Speak to our hearts, oh God. Fill us with your wisdom. I want you to just pray and just worship God and ask him to speak to you.
Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Just want us to do two things this morning. I just want us to pray for those here who are running your own business. You're a business owner. You're you're self-employed. You're running your own business. We want to pray over your life. And second, we want to pray for those who who have a desire to do that. You have a desire to be an entrepreneur. You desire to step out and just trust God to do that. We just want to pray for God's blessings. I want all of us to pray and just pray. Say, God, we're praying for those of us amongst us who are people responsible for their who own, who own their business or self-employed. We pray for these people. We pray for the wisdom of God upon them. I'm not going to ask them to raise hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But we want to pray for them because they're carrying so much responsibility. Uh, there is so much pressure. There's so many decisions to be made, and, and, and we just want to pray. We want to pray for them. We want to strengthen them uh, through our praying. So let's pray. I want everybody to pray and say, "God, we pray for those uh, amongst us, God, this morning, who are business owners." Everybody pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues. Pray however you want. Father, we pray, Lord, for those right here in this hall this morning who are self-employed, who are running a business who are in charge of that, who are responsible, Father God, for that, for themselves, for their organization, for people who are working for them. Father, we pray special grace upon them. We pray special wisdom upon them. We pray, God, you're empowering in their lives. We pray you will give them ideas, give them strategies, give them, Lord, extra wisdom, God, in in handling all the situations that they have to handle, God. We pray a special empowering of your Holy Spirit on their lives. They will be able to guide their work by the wisdom of God. And Father, we just pray also for people standing here in this auditorium, this hall today, God, who will have a desire to do something, to start something, to step out and do something, start a business, to start an organization, to stand up for a cause. And Lord, we pray for the empowering of your spirit in their lives. We pray for wisdom. We pray for guidance. We pray for provision, God, that they will be able to carry it out and see success. Let them go from this place knowing that you are with them. You are empowering them to make a difference for your kingdom. We just thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's close, please. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, And the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us today and always. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God bless you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. We are currently doing a series on timeless principles for the workplace and we have a brand new publication with the same name. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.